gather in God's house this morning to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to worship our risen Savior, to celebrate uh, after we preach His Word and after we have sung praises and give of our first fruits, to, to gather around the Lord's table today and to remember the ultimate sacrifice that God did for us to restore relationship with us. Before I, I go any further, I want to remind folks that we will be having a baby dedication next uh, Sunday at the second service, and uh, looking forward to that. Tonight, though, I, I want to remind everyone here that tonight we are uh, we will be having our first uh, of the year, our um, our D uh, three. Basically, it is our doctrine, which will be preached tonight by uh, uh, Pastor Brian. He will be preaching a prisoner's prayer, and uh, it's from the text of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, and that'll be tonight, and he will preach and proclaim God's truth for that. After that, we have a doctrine discussion where the elders will, will come up here, and we will answer any questions that you might have from the sermon, give you that opportunity to do that, and then we will have dessert provided for you. No dinner this time. We're doing, we'll be doing doctrine. We'll be doing... Um, uh, discussion of the doctrine, the preaching of God's Word, and then we will have dessert. Children are welcome here as well, and uh, they will have activities for them. Is that correct, Pastor Brian, across? Uh, fourth grade and below. Fourth grade and below. Uh, if you're uh, fifth grade up, you're expected to be in here and hear the preaching of God's Word, and there'll be activity for you as well. Tonight at 6, hope you guys can make it back. I pray that you make it back. I, make, I pray that you make it a, a priority to be here. I, for one, am looking forward to hearing what God has laid on the heart of Pastor Brian tonight. Uh, this morning, turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In just a moment, we will read the entire passage. I'll be preaching three sermons on uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And today we'll be preaching verses 1 through 3, we'll, I will be preaching on. And then, uh, then for two additional weeks, we will make our way through Corinthians for, uh, chapter 13. This is a piggyback to what we have uh, already preached on and studied and meditated on, and I encourage you again to, to make that part of your weekly uh, Bible reading is Romans 12, to meditate on that throughout the year and what it means to be a Romans 12 Christian. And in order to be a Romans 12 Christian, if you have not been able to, if you didn't get to hear all those sermons, they are online, I would encourage you to do it. There's four of them in, in on Romans 12. Uh, this to be a Romans 12 Christian, it's, it's, it's imperative that you understand that you need to be a 1 Corinthians 13 Christian as well. And in order to do what Romans 12 asks us to do uh, through, the, uh, through Paul's writings to the church in Rome and therefore to all of us, is to be able to have that same love that God talks about. Many of you that are my age, uh, around that age, and as Pastor Cal said, older than dirt, we, uh, you remember a movie called Crocodile Dundee. How, have you, how many of you all remember that movie, saw that movie when you were younger, okay? Well, Crocodile Dundee was this Australian guy. He's from the Outbacks, and he was just a good old boy, is what we would say here from Virginia. He was from uh, down under, and uh, he came to New York City, and he's walking around New York City with uh, eventually the woman he falls in love with, and uh, she's, a, she's a reporter, and they're walking through, and they get mugged in the middle of New York Go figure that, right? So they're walking through New York City. They get mugged. Three or four thugs come up to him and tell him to give over their money. And he kind of says, what? What are you doing? And the guy pulls out a switchblade. 
And when he pulls out the switchblade, he goes, that's not a knife. And he pulls out a Bowie knife. <laughs> and, of course, they take off running. I can see Paul saying the same thing to us. You think that's love? This is what love is. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. The kind uh, of love that, that is different than the world's love. You want to get a glimpse of that? Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word here this morning. If you're able to stand, please do as we honor God's reading this morning. Reading from uh, God's Word, we hear God speak out loud to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. does not brag. is not puffed up. It does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child and think like a child and reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with these childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will be known fully, just as, I, as also I also have been fully known. But now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Father, we come before your throne this morning. Your people, we have come and we have gathered and we have sung praises to your name. We have worshipped you, Lord, and we continue to worship you through the preaching of your word. We have given of our first fruits unto you, Lord. We pray, Father, that we acknowledge that everything we have comes from you. The very breath that we breathe this morning. And, Father, as mere men and mere women stand before you this very hour. And I pray, God, as this mere man presents what you've laid on my heart, Lord, that it would be an encouragement to my brothers and sisters who need encouraging this morning. It would be, bring correction as you did in my life as I studied this passage. I pray, Father, for the one who does not know you, that this very hour they would come to saving faith. Father, may you receive the glory for it all. In Jesus' precious name, amen. And thank you so much. And so this morning, as we look at 1 Corinthians 13, I want you to understand this is a passage that does not... Stand alone, uh, even though I'm preaching it uh, and grabbing it right out of here in the middle. And I'm grabbing it because it, again, it segues from what we have learned in Romans 12. Paul writes this chapter in the larger context of, the te- of his teachings on spiritual gifts in the church. Paul introduces this theme of spiritual gifts in chapter 12, and he continues in chapter 14 of this book. And the purpose of chapter 13 is to teach the Corinthians and therefore teach us that the practice and pursuit of spiritual gifts must always, must always take place within the context of love, of Christian love. 
The passage in 1 Corinthians 13 is rightly one of the most famous and well-loved passages in all the Bible. Uh, when I when I officiate in marriage ceremonies, I can't tell you how many times that, that a couple has asked me to read 1 Corinthians 13. And, uh, and, and I, I am grateful to do that and willing to do that. But I always remind the couple that this 1 Corinthians 13 is not about relationships between husbands and wives. Now, it applies, obviously, but what this passage is written about is for you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what this passage is about. It's, it's how we love one another and how we love the unsaved and the lost. And so as we read that and we understand that, you need to grab that concept that this isn't, say, hey, this doesn't apply to me, I'm not married, or I'm not in love. Of course this applies to you. It applies to everyone who calls themselves a Christian. This passage, it's profound and it's beautiful. It's convicting and it's uplifting. Biblical commentaries, commentators have said that this chapter, from a literary viewpoint, is the greatest passage that Paul ever penned by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It has been called the hymn of love, a, a lyrical interpretation of the Sermon on the Mount. You who were with us when we walk three years through the Gospel of Matthew, you remember, if you remember back and you go back and you can think of the Sermon on the Mount and how this, how this chapter 13 just kind of segues along with that one and kind of interacts with that one and, and, and it is important to understand that. It has been called the Beatitude set to music. This is a glorious passage that Christians need to meditate on and dwell on. The Corinthian Christians were not walking in the Spirit. And therefore, Paul needed to correct that. They were selfish. They were self-motivated and doing everything possible to promote their own interest and welfare. That is the danger that will happen in any body of Christ. We are very serious here at Grace Harvest when the when the elders, their, their heart's desires to see God glorified for you to grow in Christ. My role as your shepherd, as the preaching, teaching pastor here at Grace Harvest, is to see you grow in Christ, your love for Him grow, your love for His people to grow, your maturity in the faith to grow. That is, that is my desire, and that is Paul's desire here with the church in Corinth. And through those words, it should help us to grow in our faith. And, and we need to be on guard about our own lives and promoting our own self-interest and our own welfare and our own goals and our own desires within the body of Christ. God tells you to set all that aside when you came to Him. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Him daily is what the Lord said. Die to self, Paul said. I die daily to self. And, and you know, you can think, well, that's just, that's just Paul. He's super Christian Paul. No, I... I was reminded this the other day. As much as I admire Paul and the other apostles in the, in the scriptures and, and those men and women that display that faith that I admire and look up to, God doesn't tell me to be like them. He tells me to be like His Son. And so we, that is our goal. And Paul is pointing the Corinthian church and us and my role and my responsibility is to point you as believers and point myself to what it means to love as God loves and as Christ loved. You see, everyone was doing his own thing in the church and for his own good with little regard to other people. The Corinthians did not lack in any gift, we know that, but they were terribly lacking in spiritual fruit. So they had gifts, but they weren't producing any fruit from it. 
You know, I, I, I've met people that, that can, can uh, have great theology and great doctrine and they're great teachers, but they don't love. And we'll get to that in just a, a minute here. But the problem with that is if you don't love, people don't want to listen to you if you don't love them. Think about your own life. You want people to love you and care about it. And, and that's what Paul is concerned with here in the church at Corinth, that they don't, there's no love. Money, among the many things that those believers lacked, of all the things they lacked, Paul says it's love. It's love that motivates and should motivate us in doing everything. You know, we know that God is holy, 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 but He is love. And He has to manifest that love. And He has manifested that love through the love He had for each one of us when He sent His Son to die for us. That, that is the extreme evidence of God's love for us that He sent His Son to die for us. And, and we, if He did that for us and he, and he loves us, do we not, should we not love Him back? Should we not give everything we have to Him? You see, without love, even our best accomplishes are nothing in God's eyes. Nothing. And Paul makes that clear here through the preaching of the Word. And so this morning, as we look at this, as Paul takes this concept and he applies it to three different areas in the first three verses that I'll be preaching on this morning. He, 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 he applies it to our speech, to our gifts that God's given to us, and our sacrifices. Look with me again at verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And so the, the word love here, we need to get that straight, is the Greek word agape, and it's, and it's the one that uses for love. It's not an erotic love, eros. It's not the love that a man and woman have for each other and they get married and you have butterflies in your stomach. We've all talked about that and how you feel when, you, when the person texts you or calls you or you look at each other and, and you have that glazed over look in your eyes. That, that's all fine, but when husbands and wives get married, that grows into a mature love. And, and God's love for us, this agape love, is not based on sentimental feelings or based on our emotions. It is action. And it's based on God's love for us. It's the expression of His being. He loves the unlovable. You see, when we love, most of the time when we love, and especially before we became believers, we love because it benefited us. Let, let's face it, when we love somebody and, and you feel good about that and you get to spend time with them and, and it makes you feel good. And, 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 and we look forward to that, what it does for us, and it feels like that. But the problem with that kind of love is the reason we have so many divorces is because when people stop feeling that way, then, well, I'll just move on to the next person. The next person that makes my stomach have butterflies in it. That's not what God calls us to do, obviously. He calls us to love as He loved. Agape love is always, always shown by what we do and what He did for us. God's love is displayed most clearly at the cross. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So think about it. Before you came to Christ, you were a dead man or a dead woman. You were a dead person walking. 
That's what you were. You, you had no desire to follow Christ. If you remember your own lives, you had no desire to follow Him. Oh, you might have been a good person. But there was no desire to, to love, love your enemies. There was no desire to love God. It was all about you and what you got out of life. But God quickened you. He made that dead heart of yours, that dead. What does he mean by dead? What do you talk about, preacher? I was alive. No, you were dead spiritually. What it means to be dead spiritually means that if you die without Christ, you spend eternity in hell. You see, the problem with too many churches today is they don't talk about hell. They don't talk about the consequences of not believing in Jesus Christ. It's okay. Everything will work out. You know, you'll hear from one end of the spectrum, well, if you die, you know, I kind of believe in the Eastern religions. And, and if I die, I'll just, I'll turn into a butterfly one day and then maybe a caterpillar or something else. You know, uh, just, I'm thinking, how pathetic is that? Be reincarnated as a worm. That's really exciting. That's what I want to do. Um, now, or you get the other extreme. Well, you're just you. And when you're just made up of a bunch of cells and, and, and when you die, you're just dead. You're just dead. There, there's nothing else. There's nothing else. And, you, and it kind of makes you scratch your head, especially as a believer, because you're thinking, look, I look out there and I see the magnificence of God's creation. And I know there's a creator. I look at the stars at night and I'm thinking, oh yeah, that just happened by chance that they all just kind of hang up there. It, you know, one day they just might fall down on top of me, right? But no, God placed them there and He knows every one of those stars. And I, and I know that the Bible tells me that God, even the sparrows in the tree that fall out of the tree, God doesn't allow that to happen unless He allows it to happen. And how much more does He love me? He knows the hairs on my head. He knows the hairs on your head. He knew you in your mother's womb, Christian. He called you before the foundation of the world to be His. He wrote your name in the book of life. He has given you the faith to believe in Him, just as Paul wrote in Ephesians. He loved us by giving us His Son unselfishly. What man in here, Father, what man of you would give your son's life for me? Which one of you would voluntarily just say, Hey, uh, you're going to go die in a pastor's place. There wouldn't be a person here raise their hand. And that's me. Look how good I am. Could you imagine if somebody came up to you and said, Hey, we want you to die for that person on death row. That person that, that raped and murdered children. I want you to die for him so that he can be set free. You are whacked, Pastor. That is going to happen. But isn't that exactly what God did? You see, when we put it in those terms, you think about the love that God showed for us. That while we were yet sinners, He died for us. While we hated Him, He died for us. The Bible tells us that no adulterer, no murderer, no liar, no thief, no homosexual, no fornicator, no adulterer will enter into the kingdom of God. And He says you were that person before you came to Christ. And yet God died for you. He sent His Son to die for you on that cross, to take your place so that you could have eternal life. That is love. That's agape love. And God is telling us, you have to love like that. You, Christian, dear one, need to love just the same the way He loves. We did not deserve. I don't deserve for Jesus to die for me. And I mean this with all sincerity. I can see Him dying for you. I know you, folks. I, I love you, but... But I know me too. Why would he die for me? I look in the mirror. I, I know what my life has been. Why would he bother with me? And yet each one of us could say that when we look in the mirror. But God did that. He loved you enough to die for you. Nobody is outside of the grace of God. Amen. Not a person is outside of his grace. 
Dear one, if you're here today, if you're listening online and you don't know Christ as Savior, you may think, Pastor, you just don't know what I've done. No, I don't, but He does. And let me tell you what, he, He will forgive you. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and that He was raised from the dead by God, the Bible says you will be saved your sins are forgiven. You will never stand in judgment for your sin. That's why I can stand week after week and have joy in my face no matter what's going on in my life. That's why I can sing that song. Oh, I wanted to jump up, folks, but I'm always afraid of what I look like, especially on TV. I mean, I'm sitting here this morning, and I, I, I got, you know, the, it's like, oh, get up. No, you can't get up because people think you're doing it just because you're doing it to stand up so they can see you stand up. You see what goes through my brain? But I want to just, just stand and, and worship my king. Sometimes I tell Pastor Cal, let's just when you see me jumping, you make everybody stand. <laughs> that song, that last song we sang, I know why it means so much to my wife and me. Because when Kathy had double knee replacement, we were in the hospital, not knowing whether she was going to live because she, she needed a blood transfusion and there was this big argument between the doctor. I won't go into all that. But I had this playlist for Kathy. And I remember that song coming over and over and over again. And my wife and her tears and my tears as we're praying to God and we're hearing that song sung, all Christ is everything, right? He's all I need. He's all I want. Christian, that, you should get to that place in your life where no matter what happens in your life, whatever you're going through, that you can say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I am His. And nobody can take that away from me. I will stand in glory with my Jesus forever. No man can take that away from me. Nobody can steal that from me. And I will be with Him forever. Just because an unworthy sinner said, Jesus, You are my Lord and my Savior. It's not about Mark Wells. I didn't do anything. God did it all for me. And He did it all for you. You know, the Bible says we are the undeserving recipients of His lavish agape love. 1 John 3.1 tells us that. God's demonstration of agape love led to the sacrifice of His Son, the Son of God, for those He loved. We are to love others with that same agape love. Love, whether they are fellow believers, John chapter thirteen thirty four, or bitter enemies, Matthew five forty four. See, that's what Christianity separates Christianity from every other faith out there. You know, there's two faiths. There's faith in Jesus Christ and there's faith in Satan. Every other religion besides Christianity is faith in Satan. That's what it is. Every every whether you're a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, if you are Buddhist, if you're Hindu, if you're Muslim. You are worshiping Satan. Plain and simple. It's only, it's only worshiping of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior than everything else. Because Jesus Christ is the only one. And only through Him will we have eternal life with God forever. All those, you will have eternal life. Where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Where the worm never dies. You see, each of these three verses that we're looking at here this morning starts out... Verse 1, if, and, sec, and, and verse 2, and if, and verse 3, and if. They all start out with the word if, indicating Paul is speaking here in hypothetical possibilities. He is using hyperbole here. We need to understand that when you get in here. 
Paul did not intend for us to assume that any of this hypothetical possibilities were even remotely possible. It's like, like you know, when, when I, I remember the first time I told Kathy how much I loved her. I would follow you around the world. No, I wouldn't, but I said it. I couldn't do it. There's no way I could do that, right? And, 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 and you know, when, when you're looking in your, in your spouse's eyes and you're committed to them, you know, the, the, the songs that sing about, you know, there ain't no mountain high enough, right? Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. You can't climb over every mountain. You're using hyperbole to express that great love that you feel inside of you. And that's what Paul's doing here. In verses 1 through 3, Paul seeks to demonstrate that any gift exercised to its highest level of performance, if you do this, is greatly diminished in value if that gift is not exercised with love. With love. Notice what Paul does here. He uses the first-person narrative in these three verses. Your pastor has always done this, and you may have sat under other shepherds' teachings. I've heard this comment before, and I, uh, people have come up to me and said, one of the things I appreciate you, Pastor Mark, is you, you preach, you use yourself as an illustration, or you say I and, and we instead of you, because I'm preaching to myself. But I learned this from Paul, because that's what Paul is doing. He's putting himself in here with the Corinthian church. He's referring to himself, he says, I, right? He's like any good pastor. He wanted to make it clear that what he said applied to himself as well. I never stand up here on a Sunday morning that I don't preach this sermon to myself first. Ever. Ever. I, I, I need it just as bad as you do it, if not even more. I want to share with you something a little bit about this ancient city of Corinth. Corinth was one of the largest and most important cities of Greece back in Greece's heyday. About 400 B.C., when, when uh, Greece was there, an independent city-state, you had Sparta, you had Athens. Greece, uh, uh, excuse me, Corinth had a population of about 90,000 people in 400 B.C. Well, you know, if you know your history, Rome comes along about, a, uh, about 250 years later. Rome comes along and conquers uh, uh, these Greek city-states. And, excuse me, uh, Greece, because then by that time Alexander the Great had been in power and there was more of a centralized government. And so about 44 B.C. the Romans came in and, um, uh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, in 146 B.C. the Romans came in and destroyed it. A hundred years later in 44 B.C. they came in and rebuilt it and they made it the capital of the province in Greece. And under the Romans, Corinth was rebuilt as a major city. And it, it, it was a mixed population of Romans, of Jews, and Greeks. They all gathered in this place for trade and commerce. And so with the influence of the strong Greek culture, though, um, rhetorical debate and oracle skills were highly praised. You know of the Greek scholars, right? And everybody heard of Aristotle and Socrates. Well, that kind of passed down through the generations. And so the Greeks were always known for their knowledge. The Romans always looked up to the Greeks in that regard. The Apostle Paul ver- first visited the city around 50 A.D. So we're looking about, you know, about 30 years after uh, Christ, excuse me, about 25 years after Christ, around that time that, uh, uh, let me do my math, 15 years, excuse me, you know know how I am with math. So about 15 years after the time that Christ died, Paul visits it for the very first time. Luke records it in the book of Acts, chapter 18, verse 11, that Paul lived there for 18 months. 
What did Paul do? He was the pastor. He was the shepherd of this church in Corinth. And he, he loved them. And he wanted them and desired them to live godly lives, as every pastor does. You cannot be an under-shepherd of God's flocks without desiring for God to be glorified in you. That's the elder's desire here at Grace Harvest. We do what we do to make sure that you guys grow in Christ, that you can be used by Him. You will be used by God in a way that I could never imagine. You in this congregation, members of Grace Harvest Baptist Church, will reach more people for the cause of Christ than I ever will. Because you're out there in the real world. You know, I've said this many times before. As a police officer for 29 years, it was really, really neat to be a Sunday school teacher and then go out into the world. Here I'm kind of isolated. You know, nobody nobody sends me dirty jokes, which I appreciate so much. Nobody grabs me in the hall and tells me dirty jokes anymore, especially since I said a couple of weeks ago, don't come tell me a joke that might be offensive. I don't want to hear it. Um, I don't hear language. I don't hear the bad language that you hear. You're in the real world. You're with people that need to hear Christ and Him crucified. And God has, has given you that ability and, 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 and He's called you to be His and He saved you and He's called you to love these people out there. And so, and, and, and that's my heart's desire to, to make sure that you're capable of doing that. That you know, you know, sometimes I hear people say, well, Pastor, I don't know the Bible like you do. And my question to you is, why not? Am I something special? No. I'm I'm nothing special. I'm no different than you. I open up the book. I I study the book. Now, yes, I have more time than you do now. I mean, uh, I I, I get to set a day, two days aside of a week to study and and to prepare God's message. But folks, you've got the same book I've got. They don't give me a teacher's edition. Right? God doesn't somehow say when you get ordained, He gives you a special book. A new Bible that says, well, here, this is, this is so you can do this. No. He gives me this book. The same book he gives you. The same book that your Sunday school teacher has. The men and women of our church, whether they're, they're teaching the littlest ones. I love walking through there. This morning I walked and I see the upper kids uh, sitting around their tables and women dedicated to sharing God's truth to those children so that, so that they know what their mommies and daddies are telling them are being reinforced. I just met with all the parents that are going to have their children dedicated next week. And if, you have, if you're going to have your child dedicate and you haven't, you need to meet with me, set up an appointment with me this week. I need to sit down and talk with you about that. But it's just not a ceremony we go through. What I reminded the parents this morning was that it's your responsibility, Dad, to be the spiritual leader of your home. It's not the pastor's responsibility to be the spiritual leader of your home. It's you, Dad. It's your responsibility to raise your cheer and fear, uh, children in fear and admonition of the Lord. It's you who, the first time that they hear who Jesus is, should be from you, mom and dad, not from me. It shouldn't be from a Sunday school teacher. The Sunday school teacher should reinforce what you have said, what you have taught, what you have lived. I talked to him this morning about having a worship hour. Do you, families... When I say worship hour, it could be five minutes. Are you doing something as a family dad? Do you, do you come in and sit down with your family? It could be awkward at first. This is a great time to do it. You know, the pastor said we need to do this, so let's start, right? We, we, we start and we, and, we, and we grab the Bible. We take 15 minutes of, that night, 30 minutes that night, an hour. 
And you sit down and you go, okay, I'm going to read a story or I'm going to tell you a story if they're little ones from Scripture. We're going to sing a song, a hymn. I know it would be really bad in my house if I started singing. But, but they don't care when they're little. My kids used to think I could sing. Believe it or not, they would sing with me in the car. Crystal would actually sing with me until she learned I couldn't sing and then I was embarrassing her. Read Scripture. Tell a story to your children. Sing a hymn, Dad. Pray. They need to see church in the house. They need to see you living for God in the house. And then when you come here, it's not something weird that's going on. Some, some What are they doing at church, right? All we're doing is doing the same thing you're doing at home. We just do it at a bigger scale. As a, we're called to gather together. And we come here once a week. We should, we should have an emphasis in being here as a body of believers because we love each other and we love Christ. So let's get into the meat here. What does Paul mean when he said, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels? The Corinthians in Paul's day were very much caught up in speech. They were talkers and debaters, as I just said a minute ago. They valued strong, fervent, bold, persuasive speech. They valued eloquence in their speaking. They wouldn't have liked me. Apparently, a, a number of them looked down on Paul because they felt he lacked these qualities. We know that from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that some describe Paul as follow, followed. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is weak and his words contemptible. So they liked what his writings, but they, couldn't, they didn't like hearing him talk. This is Paul. God's gifted him, and yet they, they, he's... he's, he's He's not a very good speaker. Paul wanted them and every believer to understand that God is not impressed with our vocabulary or our ability to debate and our flowery tongue if we do any of it without love. Without love. Verse 1 is one of those verses that entire bad theology and doctrines have been based on. And when we look at tongues of angels, remember, he's using hyperbole here. Uh, we know that the charismatic movement has taken this verse out of context. The Greek word for tongue here can mean the actual muscular organ or a known language. So follow me here. You've heard the expression in the native tongue. My grandparents were born in Italy uh, on my mom's side. And I used to hear it in my house all the time, native tongue. And what they were talking about when they said native tongue, they were talking, they were talking about English. They were talking about Italian. And so we understand, especially the older generation, we understand when someone says their native tongue. We understand what that means. It's talking about a language. So you might just sort of paraphrase what's happening here by saying, if I speak in the languages of men and the languages of angels, and that clarifies a lot of confusion on this passage, unnecessary confusion. The Corinthian Christians prized the gift so much that it had become an obsession with them, just as it has become an obsession with many Christians today. I'm not saying that our charismatic brothers and sisters are not Christians. I'm not saying that. I'm saying what is it? Just the, the same issue that happened in Corinth is they grab a hold of something and they de desire it so much that they overlook what God teaches us about love. But he doesn't just stop there with known languages. He tosses in the language of angels. Now here's something peculiar. But I want to tell you something. There's no biblical teaching of a unique or special angelic language or dialect. Nowhere in Scripture. In all the recorded passages of Scripture, there's not one time that the angel speaks in any other language other than the language of man. When Abraham was met by the angels and met by the Lord, he didn't say, 
excuse me, can someone translate for me? No, he records what the angel said. When Mary was approached, what was it the angel said to her? Do not be afraid. She didn't wait for interpretation. She responded to what the angel said to her. How can I? I'm a virgin. I have not known a man. There's nowhere in recorded the Bible anywhere that a language that there's this, this angelic language. Now, could angels have their own language? Yes, they could, but in Scripture it doesn't tell us that they do anywhere. In all the recorded passages of Scripture, there's not one time that the angel speaks in any other language than the language of men. He spoke to the Hebrews in Hebrew. He spoke to the Greeks in Greek. There are no indication that they have a heavenly language of their own that men could learn. The gift of speaking in tongues of men, the gift of speaking in these languages was a gift given to the early church and we read about it in Acts chapter 2. It was a gift to speak spontaneously and prophetically in other languages that the speaker did not know in order to preach about Jesus Christ to people who had not yet heard of Him. That's the purpose of it. That was why it was given for nothing more and nothing less. Remember, it's all about God. When it draws attention to you, you can know it ain't of God. It's all about Him. Paul finishes out his lesson on speech by suggesting that if he was the greatest orator and knew every language, if he would be, he would be nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I think all of us can get that picture. You know, some instruments are beautifully played. When we get Gina up here playing by herself or the piano, and it's just beautiful. And when the, when the drums are played, we, we can appreciate that. When the bass and the guitar are played, we can appreciate it. But if somebody just got up here and just did that, we wouldn't appreciate that so much, right? And so it, 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 everybody understands what that sounds like. And, and that's what Paul is saying, that when you, if you do all this stuff, if I have all this knowledge... If I, if I mean, excuse me, if I can, I can speak all these earthly languages, if I could have spoken the tongues of, of angels hypothetically and hyperbole, if I could do all that and I don't do it with love, what is it? What does he say it is? He says that I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. In other words, when you don't love people, you know what they hear? Wah, 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 Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. When somebody doesn't love you, that's what you're hearing them say to you. And, and, and that's important to understand. Moms, dads, when you're talking to your kids. Husbands and wives, when you talk to each other. You know, when I coached football at Manchester High School and I coached baseball there, and when I did that, I, the kids that, that I coached in the school, they didn't call me Officer Wells, they called me Coach Wells. And I, and, I, and I developed a relationship with them. You know why I developed a relationship with them? Because they saw that I loved them. I genuinely cared for these kids that didn't have fathers at home. May not, some of them didn't have moms at home. Some of them, their, their fathers were incarcerated. And, and all it was is they, they, they're, they're rough around the edges, but they're just kids who want to be loved. And they know the difference. They know when you really care about them. And so we're no different. You know who cares about you and who doesn't. You know by the actions. You know, I, I can remember I had an incident one time. I've got to be careful because I don't want to divulge anybody in, so you can figure out who it is. It was years ago before I was a Christian. And I remember visiting somebody. And uh, I was at their house and the person said, uh, it was so good seeing you. Y'all come back now real soon. As soon as the person walked out of the house, 
They started cursing at them. I can't believe they've showed up here. And I'm like, what? Wait a minute. I'm confused. You just asked them to come back soon. You see, folks, what comes out of our lips should be in our heart. You shouldn't lie to people. And if you have a problem with somebody, the Bible tells us how to do that, right? We address that with them so there's not animosity. The thing that, that, the thing that your shepherd hates the most, I will tell you that I hate the most, is when I know a brother and sister in Christ in this church are at odds with one another. I hate that because I know what it does to them. And, 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 and I know that Satan is the only one that gets any joy out of it. Because he causes divisiveness. You see, it's our responsibility as Christians always to yield, always to yield, always to yield. Wait a minute, Pastor Mark. You, well, 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 what are you saying? I'm saying turn the other cheek. Well, that's pretty rough. Well, Jesus told me to do that. Jesus t- tells us to do that. We're to love the unlovable. Do you know that when I, as a police officer and, and Kathy and I had had this conversation, I was just sharing it with somebody I was visiting with yesterday, that, that uh, Kathy knew that if I was ever killed in line of duty, I was shot at three times in my career. And praise the Lord, I was never hit. And praise the Lord, I never had to take a life. But I, but I can remember uh, Kathy and I having this, this conversation because what they do is they have witness impact statements are made at, at trials. And they will ask the family. And, and Kathy always knew that I, my desire was to see this person never get the death penalty who killed me. Now, I believe in the death penalty. I believe that, that it's biblical. But, but I would rather show mercy and rather have my wife show mercy to this individual because I would love to be able to worship my Savior with the man who killed me. Why? Because that's what God tells me to do. He tells me to love that way. He tells me to love in a way that's sacrificial. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. He, he took you away from your wife and maybe your small children at home. And they would suffer because you're gone. Christ died for me. Christ died for me. What? I'm to deny myself and take up my cross and follow Him. Do we really mean what we say when we tell somebody, go to hell? Have you ever said that to somebody? You're hoping they're damned for all eternity? Suffering for all eternity's sake because you're mad at them? We're, more like, we're most like Christ when we learn to forgive. It's, it, when you can learn to forgive and truly forgive and truly love the way God tells us to love, that's the freedom that He gives us in Christ. When you come to Christ, He tells us, I bring you peace. I give you peace. I leave, leave you my peace. It's the peace that passes all understanding. How is that peace there? Because He takes the desire for re- revenge away. If you have revenge in your heart, it's coming from the enemy, not from God. Not from God. You see, that Greek word, agape, is a self-sacrificing love. And when people don't hear that in you, don't see that in you, they hear a clanging gong. It brings us to our gifts in verse 2. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. In the beginning of the next chapter, Paul speaks of prophecy as the greatest of spiritual gifts because the prophet proclaims God's truth to people so that they can know and understand it. 14 verses 1 through 5. Your, Paul himself, a prophet, Acts 13.1, pastors 
elders are prophets. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that God speaks to me in an audible voice. He speaks to me through His Word. I study His Word. I meditate on His Word. This is where I hear God speak to me. When I read, If I want to hear God speak to me audibly, I read it out loud to myself. That's how I hear God speak to me. It's through His written Word, knowing His Word. We, we are given His Word. The mysteries that I'll refer to in just a moment are given to us in the New Testament by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that indwells in us, that lets us through understand what He has to say. How many of you read the Bible before you became a Christian and you had no clue what it was talking about? That was me. I can remember grabbing the book. Uh, I was a high school senior, and uh, it, it got really weird. I kept having all these deja vu moments. I thought, man, this is really weird. And someone said, open up the book of Revelation. Read that thing. That will really freak you out. And so I opened up the book of Revelation. I read it, and I read it in the, old, in the King James because that's the only Bible we had in our house. You know, I had to go in unzip it. You all remember those? Get the dust off of it. We had a family Bible. Never... I was raised in a Catholic church. You didn't open the Bible. The only person allowed to tell you anything from the Bible was the priest. And so you, you open it up, and you know, I read it, and I was like, well, first of all, they talk like this? This is weird. And then I'm reading all this stuff. It made complete nonsense to me. Nothing made any sense to me. And, and, and as I read other books, this just doesn't make any sense to me. And I put the Bible down. When I got saved, it's, man, it's like a, a spotlight came in. And I didn't understand everything. I had to grow. You're the first time your pastor went to a pastor's conference before I, I, I was getting ready to get ordained at Swift Creek Baptist Church. And it's way back in 2004, 2003. I was licensed first and then I was ordained. And, and uh, me and Jesse flew out to California. We went to the Shepherds Conference out there. John MacArthur, always a hero of mine in the faith. And, and R.C. Sproul was there. And I mean, you, the heavy hitters, man. It was like murderer's row up there. And they're up there and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there and I, I'll never forget it. Um, we're up there, and Al Moeller gets up, and he starts talking. And I looked over at Jesse. What is he saying? He lost me. He opened his, he, as soon as he put the Bible down and started teaching, I was like, holy smoke, I have no clue what he's talking about. I had no concept. He was diving into some theology that I understand today, but I didn't understand then. He was using all these flowery words and all these big words, and theological words that I knew nothing about. And I'm, I, he just lost me. I guess somebody spoke to him because the next time he spoke, I went, oh boy, light bulb on. I can hear what he's saying. But guess what? As I matured in the faith, it wasn't cloudy to me. As I studied God's Word and poured my life into God's Word, we don't get it from osmosis. We get it by studying it. When I listened to the sermons, when I read the writings of those who have gone before. As you look at Calvin, as you look at Knox, as you look at Spurgeon and you read their writings and stuff. And then and then we, we have such a great privilege because today when 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 you hear sermons that are preached and you hear pastors today, you, you get to you you go anywhere you want and listen. You can leave here and go listen to John MacArthur. You can listen to Al Shabay. You can listen to whoever you want to listen to. You can read Spurgeon's sermons. If you want to. But folks, don't neglect the local body. That's why God calls you to be part of a local body. Alistair Bay, I mean not Alistair Bay, Paul Washer said this. I shared this in the first sermon. You know, Paul Washer said the pastor of a church is the unsung hero. The pastors and elders. Why? He, he gives this illustration. He went to a church and he preached. And everybody's, wow, that's awesome. And, the, and, the, and they asked him to be an interim pastor for a while, just a short while, a couple of months. Maybe it was six months. I may get the story wrong somewhere along there, but it was a short period of time. But they came back to him after a little while, and they said, you're just not as exciting as you were when you first came. 
You know, your, your, your sermons are just not... And he looked at him, he said, you know why? He said, because the local pastor, he said, you don't appreciate the local shepherd who has to go week after week after week after month after year after decades preaching to his people so that they grow in Christ. And that's the truth of the matter. God gives us the local pastor, the shepherd, the pastor teacher, the elders. Tonight you'll hear Pastor Brian teach. Uh, He has a different style than I have. I love listening to Pastor Brian teach. I, I love hearing the elders teach and preach God's Word. I need to be fed just like you do. That's why I'm looking so forward to tonight. All of us need that. And we need to understand that, that continuing in his hyperbole, Paul says that even the great gift of prophecy must be ministered in love. It does no good for a pastor to stand up here and preach God's Word. If the Lawsons of the world, if the Spurgeons of the world, if the MacArthur's of the world didn't love their people, they, they would be a what? Resounding gong and clanging cymbal. You have to love people. You have to... And no matter how God gifts us, and, and we, we need to understand that we need to be used by God for His glory. And it's not about us. It's always about Him and His role for us. And if, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries, what is the mysteries he's talking about? The mysteries that Paul's talking about is what was going on in the Old Testament. So, so remember, it was veiled to them. They didn't, they didn't completely understand what was going to happen with Jesus raising from the dead. They didn't know how all that was going to work out. And, and what God is saying, it's been revealed to us. We, we have those mysteries. And Paul was saying, if I knew all the mysteries of the world, everything that ever happened that, that God let me in on, it still would mean nothing. And then he talks about our sacrifices, right? And, and, and that's the next thing we move to is, is our sacrifices. Verse 3, And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So first of all, he says I'm a noisy gong. Second of all, he says I am nothing. And now it profits me nothing of my sacrifices if I don't have love. See, there was a story of a very wealthy man in Scripture. You know the story. And he came to Jesus once and he said, what do I do? I've I've followed the law. I've done everything requested of me. What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus, knowing his heart, said to him, go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. If you want to be perfect, go and sell it, Matthew 19.21 says. And so what did the man do? He went and sold all the stuff. No, he walked away because he was an extremely rich man. He wasn't willing to to die to self. It was right after that. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. Set your old life aside and say, I will follow him. However, God leads you to follow. And, and young person, that's in your school right now. If you're homeschool, then, then it's, it's with your friends. And it's, it's those acquaintances that you have. It's living for Christ. Young adult, you're in the business world. You're not married yet. You're in college. Man or woman, you're in college now. You're in the business world. You're learning a trade. What are you to do? You're to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. God has given you the ability to do what you're doing. Don't forget why He saved you. He saved you to glorify Him. The chief aim of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Wherever God has you, wherever you're at in life, husbands, wives, single people who are older, God has you, widows, widowers, He has you where you are in life now. Don't think that He doesn't know what's going on in your life. 
He's called you to live this life now and to love Him and to serve Him. Don't be the man who walks away. Jesus simply was showing him that he would be impossible for anyone to do enough to save themselves. That's what he was teaching from that. It's by grace that we're saved, not through our own works. It's by faith that we believe in Christ. And so what what actually this man was told to do, he found too hard to do. But what if he was able to do it? What if you were able actually to sell all that you had, you decided you were convicted, you were going to sell all you had, gave away all your money, to feed the poor, wouldn't that be a great act of, 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 of self-sacrifice and self-denial? Look at me, look what I've done, Lord. Even the unbeliever people are, are amazed when people give away a lot of money to charity. And such an act, great act of giving of all possessions to feed the poor would be for nothing. It still would be for nothing if it wasn't done out of genuine love. And again, this is hyperbole. God's not telling you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. What He's telling you is to be obedient to His Word. To love people genuinely. And then what happens if you go so far as your body to be burned? What's He talking about here? To be martyred. Paul's idea was that giving of one's body over to the ultimate sacrifice of being burned, of dying for Christ. We know that the Romans would would burn Christians alive. They would line them up as torches. We know that throughout the Middle Ages and, and, and during, the Revolu- uh, excuse me, during the age of Reformation that Christians were burned at the stake because they would not recant their faith in Christ alone and not the Catholic Church. But if you do all of that, even do that without love, it's for nothing. It's for nothing. In the upcoming weeks, we will dive into what this love looks like. And so today, Christian, I want to ask you, do you love? You love your family. That's Some of you, that's easy to do. Some not so easy. But you love your family. But I'll tell you what's not easy to do is love that person that irritates you hard to love that person in the church that you've had a feud with. It's hard to love that neighbor who you've had an issue with. It's hard to love that person at work. It's hard to love that person that's an enemy. And yet that's exactly what God says we're to do. So I'd ask you, Christian, this morning to evaluate, meditate, think about these words that I've shared with you this week. Go back to the Scripture Look at Romans 12 again and see how we're supposed to respond. And look within your own life and say, God, am I loving this way? Am I I loving as, as you loved me? The loveless person produces nothing, is nothing, and gains nothing. That's what Paul tells us today. So no matter what it may be, whether it is the use of the spiritual gifts to speak great and eloquent words or to perform great spiritual works of faith or even to give up something of ourselves in in some sacrificial way, it absolutely must have the, the essential ingredient of agape love. It has to. It must be done in Jesus' own love for others. Otherwise, it's just noise. We are nothing 
And no good thing will be gained if we do not love. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. I told you, Christian, I preached this to myself. I preached it during the week. I preached it the first service today. I preached it to myself again. It is a reminder that how far each of us needs to go, continue to grow in Christ. I know most of you in here. I know your love for the Lord. I know your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. But you're like me. You know you fall short in some areas. And I pray that God would use this series here in 1 Corinthians, the one in Romans 12 as well, to strengthen your faith and to strengthen your love, not only for Christ, but for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And not only them, but those outside the faith. That we remember that Lord, that we would remember that their Lord is not our Lord. That they belong to the enemy, Satan, and their retirement plan is hell. Why do we get surprised when they act the way they do? The surprise should come when we act like them. So I, my prayer is that all of us would, would strive to love the way Christ loved us and gave His life for us when we were yet sinners. In just a moment, I will stand up front before the table. And this is a time of our service where some will come and, and uh, share what God has laid on their heart as far as joining this church. We will have a family that will join next week that came to me after the service and let me know that as well. Some of you need to follow the Lord in believers' baptism. You've never been baptized. You're a born-again believer, but you have failed to be obedient to the first command. Baptism doesn't save us, but it is an outward sign of the inward change. And it's the first command that we're giving. I pray that, that if that you have not been baptized by immersion, that you, you, you pray about that. And if you have questions about it, you let me know or let an elder of this church know that you have questions. Some of you, God has spoken to you way this morning through the preaching of His Word that I could never imagine. If you need to get that straight with God, I pray that you do that this morning, just in your very seat. If you need me to pray with you, I'll be up front. I'll pray with you now. I'll pray with you after the service. I will linger as long as is necessary till the last one leaves this building. I'm available to you as, just as the other elders are as well. However God's leading, you come. You come. Father God, I thank you so much. I thank you, Father, for the preaching of your word. I, I thank you for what has happened in this building this day. And Lord, I pray that you prepare our hearts in just a moment as we come to the Lord's table. I pray, Father, that your will would be done in the lives of your people. And if there's one here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that this is the very hour they come to saving faith. And if there's one listening online, Father, now live or, or if they're here later, that they would reach out to us. Father, that they would call with any questions that they might have. Father, I pray that you bring those to saving faith. May your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Cal will lead us. You come.